It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Back together in here for you as we have a slate of topics this week to get into an update on what's going on over in Russia mm. with Brittany Griner, uh, which is going to take some patience and time on and just with that story. Uh, we'll get to that in just a bit, but I want to dive right in to a headline that will, you got to give it pause and really think through it and understand exactly what young folks are talking about. Uh, the National College Players Association, which has been, been around for about 20 years, Kirk. I got to admit, yeah. I didn't know uh, <laughs> that was an organization. Um, <laughs> Me but, too. <laughs> but they are up front and up in it with the Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights. They have filed a civil rights complaint uh, with that office, asserting that more than 350 Division I colleges are violating Black students' civil rights by imposing a collusive athlete compensation uh, prohibition. Bottom line, not paying athletes. Yeah. Now, <laughs> before I get deep into this, let's lay this Correct. all out. Because from a, a layperson's standpoint, they're like, wait a minute now. Cost of attendance, this has come through, mm-hmm. uh, which is more bread in the pockets of players. Uh, name, image, and likeness has found its way, uh, which allows student-athletes to uh, ride the waters of, of intake and institutions are, you know, a, a part of some of that as it pertains uh, right. to revenue sports and how big your conference is, but you are kind of on your own in this space. Basically what the NCPA is talking about here is actual pay, like actual W2 income yeah. <laughs> for participating in, in, in division one athletics, which it it was eluding me for a little bit, Kirk, I'm going to be honest with you. When I was trying to break down, what exactly are they asking for? It got by me because I'm like, wait a minute. Now all this stuff is hit the plate. They're like, yeah, those are the cost of doing business. (laughs) Right. We're talking about paycheck. Um, The the NCPA says because of high percentage of black students uh, uh, that are also college athletes at this point, the industry-wide compensation limit causes a disparate impact on Black college students. Is this a long bridge to cross for the National College Players Association, or do they have? Are they onto something here? You know, we've been hearing something about this for a long time in terms of paying of collegiate athletes, um, compensation, and not just of the name, image, likeness. Jax, that, that, that's something that has come about this uh, past year. You know, name, image, and likeness was something that obviously was passed down through the courts, government. <laughs> okay, hey, players and, and, and or, you know, college athletes are able to make money on their name, image, and likeness. So that was kind of something that came through the courts. But when it comes to true compensation for pay for play, 
this is what's been talked about for I don't know how many years, Jax. This has been an ongoing conversation. And when I look at this article in particular of what's going on with the uh, National Collegiate Players Association, which I like you mentioned, I was not <laughs> aware that it was around. I'm a former college athlete at the time of when this uh, when they started back in 2001. Um, but one of the big things is that I've always looked at and I, and I, I can look at what they're trying to do is bring awareness, but also bring an understanding of all of these institutions take on revenue. And we know that two of the or three of the highest generating revenue streams for many colleges is its football program and its basketball program, men's and women's. They bring out the attendance, they bring out the numbers, but more importantly, they bring out the television contracts. <laughs> These are sports that have television contracts, meaning that they're getting paid big bucks, not just from the attendance, not from the gate, but they're getting the money from also different places of, 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 of you know, television or streaming rights. So now you add into that, Jax, and I see what the fuss is about. I see what the this association is really trying to go about is that African-American athletes make up a majority of these revenue generating sports, basketball, football. And so when you think about the money that's being generated and yet we see every year right now, right? Especially right now, NCAA tournaments going on, March Madness. And we're seeing all these new coaches who get to the next round or he's about to take this next job and this coach is taking that job. And so there's money that's now being passed around. And yet, what do the players get? What do the athletes get? Uh, extra sandwich, a uh, <laughs> a little more on your books. I mean, I, I don't I don't know. And it's to a point where at some point with you would hope to think that it could happen. I just don't never see it happening. And we saw it. When do we see this, Jax? About three or four years ago, or maybe a couple of years ago. The the uh, the Pac-12, I thought, had in a a group of players try to. Remember, they sent the uh, they sent a note to the Pac-12 saying, "We want to see the financials." Mm. And we want to be able to be compensated. We want to be able to split the revenue. <laughs> I'll say, whoa, now you're starting a union. That's what college players don't have. This is an association. It is actually not a union. Because if the players or collegiate athletes joined a union, now we've got, now we've got something. But this is more of right now trying to see if there is some sort of way that the government can help out and say, why can't athletes, particularly those who play in the revenue generating sport, why is there a cap on how much they can get on their scholarship check? Should there be more? Mm. The source of those dollars, according to the association, uh, could find their way into the Mm -hmm. coffers without cutting sports. Now that one made my head explode. Uh, <laughs> but the point at where they find the pool uh, stings, I'm sure for institutions, uh, the suggestion would be spend a bit less on coaches' salaries and luxury <laughs> okay. facilities. 
Yeah. Now, I live across the street from the <laughs> University of Miami, mm-hmm. who just gave uh, nine figures in its yeah. contract, full contract, mm-hmm. uh, to its head football coach, having discussions about uh, buildings, an office building just for football. Correct. <laughs> alone, uh, any other revenue-generating sport. Uh the 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 tipping point in that is how do you compete recruiting wise if you don't have the star coach if right. you don't have the luxurious facilities if you don't have a hundred thousand dollars in the budget a year for snacks uh, all of this stuff <laughs> yeah. is a part of the experience I'm not entirely sure where I'm going to fall on this I'm I'm, I'm going to let it marinate over me for a little okay. bit. Right. Um, specifically because uh, Mama Jacks works in Division One athletics mm-hmm. as an executive, and both of my sons, uh, Division One and Division Two student athletes, who speak to you know some of these things. But when you're ten years old and you're deciding how you want your dreams to come true, correct? Through athletics, uh, we still haven't reached that point where we're saying, "Oh man, I can't wait." Till I get paid to pay college sports. <laughs> you know, you want that full ride. And yeah. the full ride has changed at, at the highest level. I mean, yes. Proper budgets. Uh, the full ride is covering your apartment off campus. The full ride covers your trips back and forth um, home. It, it covers uh, meals that are not uh, provided by the university. So it, it's, a, it's an enhanced universe. The question is, because we've reached a multi-billion dollar enterprise. Correct. Has everything changed? Should everything change? Mm. Will everything change? Is that you've got predominantly white coaches and administrators making millions and millions of dollars. And as it was noted, by the way, uh, and let me tell you something, the NCPA is happy to put out uh, the opinion of United States Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who wrote in the NCAA v. Uh, Alston lawsuit, quote, the NCAA and its member colleges are suppressing the pay of student athletes who collectively generate billions of dollars mm, in revenues for colleges each year, but the student athletes who generate the revenues, many of whom are African-American and from lower income backgrounds, end up with little or nothing. Yeah, I'm assuming that's the top of their their oh, argument yeah. at this point. I mean, what they're saying is that the, the, the revenue is, is being generated and yet it is increasingly beneficial to everyone else except the talent who brings in the dollars, who brings in the revenue. Right. The name, image and likeness kind of sort of helped, I think, push this conversation down a little bit. Because they were like, see, look, you can get paid now. You got name, image, and likeness. You can go get your own money. You can get paid. But that was for certain athletes. Not everybody is getting NIL or name, image, likeness deals. We're talking about the the revenue that's being generated by a lot of these programs, Jax. How do they? How do they possibly compensate the players more? Right. I've been around a lot of, you know, collegiate administration departments and they always say, well, yeah, the money goes back to the school. 
The money goes back to the players. We we build new facilities. We build this. They get new uniforms. They get this and they get that and more resources. That's the term they use. Oh, we just create more resources with the money that we make. Well, I know a lot of players and me being a former college athlete, uh, some of the resources, I would love to have that money in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't but <laughs> would you have gone to that institution that doesn't have those resources and facilities to begin with? That that it's that's where it becomes kind of a circle. It, it is. It, it's a unique debate, um, but we can just really kind of focus in not on those edges, but straightforward. Yeah, billions I think, of yeah. dollars. Billions of dollars. And when you look at a majority, especially the biggest generator of revenue in collegiate athletics, college football, right? And you're watching uh, even this past national championship, Alabama and Georgia. And you look out on the field. And for the people who watch Georgia win the national championship, you'll see a lot of those same players will be in this NFL draft in the first round. (laughs) There's a ton of them. But Majority of them, I would say 80, 85% were African-American. These were black players. Now, look, they have the opportunity to go on and make money in the National Football League. But what about the those who don't have that opportunity, who don't have necessarily the talent, but they were a part of a football program that generated maybe close to $100 million for Georgia? When they walk away, from that institution, what do you walk away with? Memories, a book bag that says national champions, you get a degree, and yet hopefully you walk away with no student debt, but yet the head football coaches making $10 million a year, the athletic directors making a ton of money, everybody's making money, but What's being set up for the players? Now, I'm not against it all. Trust me, I get it. I'm not against it. I understand that's the way the process has went. That's the way things have gone for a very long time. I'm just saying is that, is there another way, Jax? Is there something else that we can do? Is there grants? Is there aids? Is there something that we can also not only incentivize collegiate graduation rates, but also set up funds for players or athletes that when they do leave an institution, you have a little something that can help you. Here's your scholarship fund that's generated by the revenue that we've created. That when you walk out of the door, you're going to have this sort of stipend for the first year. You know what I mean? Something to walk out of the doors with. Because I think ultimately that can help. Is it the end all? No, but there has to be something that you can incentivize. I think college athletes to realize all the hard work that they do and generate and you walk away from that institution in four years and you're like, that's it. (laughs) If you don't get a chance to go to the next level. So I'm trying to figure out what is that happy medium? What do you think is something in the middle where you can meet to where you feel like, Hey, we're doing the best that we can No, it's not perfect, but it's a start. And uniquely for basketball, women's basketball, Pro men's basketball in America has changed a bit due to the continued growth of the G League. Hockey and baseball, those are all other avenues, right? Those are other ways that you can get to your professional dream or desire if you have that skill set. Correct. Football is (laughs) a legitimate free minor league. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it's absurd. Yeah. It really ain't, is. Ain't no getting away around it either. The, the, it's just a brutal sport taking mm-hmm. just essence of your life out uh, of your life out of your soul with every hit. And the the NFL doesn't have to really be a steward of it, doesn't have any financial responsibility to it. Um it, it it's a it's a a space in which the NFL really isn't even called on the carpet for a great deal. It pops up right. every now and then. Uh, but there, there's got to be some connection, some bridge in that space. Uh, Cause you know, for sure, mm-hmm. uh, if you went to a owner's meeting and there was a discussion about, Hey, you know, you all should establish your own minor league instead of just, you know, fair <laughs> catching all these young men from college sports, you know, after three years of service. Uh, but you know, that'll, that, that, that will, <laughs> That that won't even make the agenda. Uh, well, hold on. I, I'm, as 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 funny you say that, Jax. I think quietly, the NFL is trying to do that quietly. It's in its infancy really? stages. I think quietly, with the emergence of a couple of leagues that have now emerged, mm. the, the USFL will be starting in about two weeks, two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. The XFL will be starting up the year after. Players will be compensated for their play. And it just has to be what will the rules look like for a player to play in these other leagues that essentially can say, you know what, to quote the great Cardell Jones of Ohio State University, I didn't come here to play no school. <laughs> I didn't go to the Ohio State to play yeah, no yeah. school. I yeah. came here to play oh, football. Listen, but I, I get it. If there's other and opportunities, I, I haven't though, even push back on the thought like we – we all need to understand full well. Most of us attend universities to yeah. uh, to to grow some skill set. Correct. To go get a job. Um, <laughs> there are there are still few that go and enjoy the universal mind development, but most of us are trying to hone in on one skill set for for yeah. a gig. So I don't even push back on that. Um, that's a whole nother segment. We need to dive a little bit deeper. You had a little something in your back pocket. I wasn't ready for that. that oh, yeah, I mean, the you know, idea I, though of having a true professional football minor league is interesting. It's it's challenging on so many yes. levels because of just pure body development. Correct. As an 18, 19 year old, are you prepared mentally and physically to go battle once a week with grown folks? Yeah. But you think they have too. a whole nother layer, by the way, the right. hunger and fire of trying to get to the next level. Yeah. I mean, that's the hard part. Different dynamic. I'm I'm not pushing back against that, but because I actually prefer it. Uh, One last point before we move on. Um, The NCPA took the first step uh, in their real push for equality here back in February by filing an unfair, unfair labor practice charge against the NCAA, the PAC 12, UCLA, and USC specifically mm-hmm. uh, to try to start this push to gain employee status and fair compensation for SBS football players and Division One men's and women's basketball players. Uh, I say this tongue in cheek. Be careful, young people. Yes, yeah. there are taxes to pay. All the <laughs> yeah, all the name, image, and likeness money. Uh, a lot of universities that are up front and and mm-hmm. and out front are right now calling. You know, alumni and and area accountants to come through mm-hmm. as service to these young people because there's the other side of all this, you know, uh, compensation. And yeah, Sam wants you know that 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 portion 
as well. So there, it, it, this is a seismic change on the surface uh, and a, a lot of road to hoe for it to become a reality, but the steps are being taken. Yeah. And look, I, I see where they want to go with this and I applaud it. Um, I wish this would have developed a little more over the years to where you can kind of create some sort of union um, to have a seat at the table with all of these different universities. But I said the most difficult part of all of this, Jax, is that there is not one unified voice when it comes to collegiate athletics. The NCAA is not like the head of everybody. No, they're a committee they're a, that, that can recommend certain rules and aspects of it. But when it comes down to it, a lot of people can take their ball and pick up and go. There is no commissioner. There is no Adam Silver, no, you know, Roger Goodell. There is no voice over all of the different universities that have, you know, revenue generating sports. And with that also, there is no true union for collegiate athletes. So until that happens, I always felt like it's you kind of talking to deaf ears here because no one's really going to understand and hear it because who do you truly point it at? You're talking about 350 people or 350 schools and they're their own entity and say, hey, but we're different from here. We're different from there. I said the Pac-12 is different than the Big Ten and the Big Ten is different than the SEC. It's a lot of people you have to kind of get up, get on board to see how this works out. We will put that story in the Purnell Brown file of observation. <laughs> yes. As this uh, continues to push through this, this is a, a long march for these young folks, uh, but they are organized and, and focused and uh, we will tip our cap to their endeavor. Take a quick break. When we come back, uh, revisit of the NFL inspired change program. Uh, we, we, when that program first came about, we highlighted and showcased uh, many of the initiatives. They Two voices have come out recently, Kenny Clark, uh, who has a unique story of how he was raised, and uh, Byron Jones, uh, who wants to share the importance of diversity and inclusion in decision-making, their thoughts and the projects they're connected to when we come back here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Kirk, the NFL Inspired Change program is one that was highlighted on the program. And I'm excited that, that there's still energy and win, even in the offseason, uh, to get these voices and um, these life stories out, quite honestly. Uh, in the latest uh, that we've received, uh, we start off with Kenny Clark, mm-hmm. who shares experiences of his, namely, growing up with an incarcerated parent and how that inspired him to get involved with uh, U.S. Dream Academy, which supports children with parents in incarceration. It is one of the NFL's Inspired Change Education grant partners. Uh, The great majority of us have no idea the impact of that trauma, of that reality. Uh, Here's Kenny speaking about that. We'll react on the other side. The NFL Inspired Change showcases uh, different ways to, to help the community and it shows people they can have more opportunities. It's important for the NFL to show these efforts um, in social issues because the NFL is a family. We all come from different backgrounds. 
I'm currently a, the ambassador for the U.S. Dream Academy. We're going to do a 30-second focus exercise. My dad was took away from me and went to prison when I was nine years old. So I've been living in a single-parent home the majority of my life. People that just want to help U.S. Dream Academy, I just think that it gives them a chance to be educated about what kids are going through. I will provide support. I will provide support. By being helpful. By being helpful. And encouraging to others. So U.S. Dream Academy really kind of reformed around this idea that if we brought mentoring and tutoring into the lives of young people, that we could try to stand in the gap for what was not happening in their school or community. And we bring what we call our three pillars, skill building, character building, and dream building. And this dream building piece is really, I think, the most important part of our work. A child with a dream is a child with a future. And we have seen that over and over again. Mentor ambassador leaders will come, will they be here? Can I introduce themselves? When we first were founded in, in 98, 99, 2000, people were like, whoa, we hadn't really thought about what was happening to children particularly in communities that also were impacted by poverty, that had high rates of arrest. And the combination of these risk factors in the community was really impacting the life outcomes for children, and particularly children who also had a parent incarcerated. And one of the beautiful things that I've seen is that we're all connected in this attempt to do our part to make our community better. My name is Daquan Palmer. I was born and raised in Southeast Washington, D.C. I do quality assurance for a biopharma company. My childhood in Southeast Washington, D.C. Uh, was challenging at times. The closest person to me was my father. He was incarcerated uh, from a very young age of mine. And my uncles, cousins, all male figures were incarcerated at some point th uh, throughout my childhood. Even while I was in my undergraduate stay, I would come back and I would volunteer and mentor students. I know that the, the program provided a lot to me, so it was extremely important for me to take students out for different bonding activities. It gives them an opportunity to do something fun, but also we're able to speak with them and kind of help them through different growing pains that they may be going through. We are thrilled to be partnering with the NFL. And this past year, we had the opportunity to connect with Kenny Clark, who is an NFL player with the Green Bay Packers. And one of the reasons that this is so important is because his life story really helps young people to understand that it's possible to go through this kind of traumatic experience of having a parent incarcerated and still achieve your dreams. It helps that the NFL is getting behind huge issues because it helps educate and it helps motivate different communities to follow behind the NFL and um, help with these issues. The NFL is very respected and a lot of people look up to us whether we know it or not. And the more people we get on board, the more we can stop these issues. First of all, Kenny Clark doesn't have to tell us all his business. Right. All right, let's, let's start there. Um, <laughs> right. it, it, you grow into a comfort um, because you have an association. And I think that's what is best here is that Kenny probably, and I'm only guessing, uh, came up without a connective association of, hey, there's another person that's going through what I'm going through, or, or here's another person. Um, that you might have friends and, and, and family members that have brushes with the law or uh, 
but in many cases you feel isolated yeah. and it, you, you get away from, um, you know, the idea of how challenging that might be. Uh, it was such a unique conversation with, with Kenny Clark, uh, Diane Wallace Booker in there, the chief strategy officer and executive vice president of us dream and a Daquan Palmer, an alumni from the Academy. Um, it, it's, it's amazing to have an organization that can provide a platform of togetherness. You're not alone uh, mm-hmm. in, in what is a trying time during your most formative years. Yeah, no, no doubt. And then I think, you know, in, in looking at the mission statement of the uh, U.S. Dream Academy, uh, that, that's what kind of stuck out to me the most um, is that a child with a dream is a child with a future. That's uh, something to look forward to regardless of the situation you may be in or the circumstances you may be in, you can still have that dream. You can still go out and reach that dream, obtain that dream. And when people tell you that you can't, well, there's now help that can say, oh, we can help you. We can get it done. And now it's about branching out and finding ways to make sure that these children can go out and and, and make that dream come true. And I think Kenny Clark is sort of like you mentioned, a, a, a walking testimony to what this is, that sometimes you may be in a bad situation financially, circumstance, whatever it may be, but it doesn't give you the right to say, I can't obtain a dream. It's just, we're going to find a way. We're going to get it done. And that's the the belief that, you know, kids wake up every day saying, hey, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that because I know that if I do these things, I can obtain a dream of being a, a, a judge, a mayor, teacher, doctor, policeman, fireman, whatever it may be, but it's still out in front of you. And you don't have to always feel like you have to close the door on something because your circumstances are a little bit different. And what an important organization. And you can find out more at usdreamacademy.org uh, to allow for your experience to be your experience. You, you have a parent that's incarcerated, but it doesn't have to be your path either. Correct. You don't have to have harbor hard feelings for the reality of your mom or dad that are serving their time, but also at the same time, know that, you know, just because you see it doesn't mean you have to be that. And that's the challenge, right? We, mm-hmm. we, from the positive angle, we oftentimes say, hey, let's show kids something so that they can know that it is possible. Sometimes the stuff they see is heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, you know, just reading up on it, I was getting excited myself when, when, when you hear them talking about uh, the U S dream Academy is transforming children into being dreamers hmm. who envision and realize what their potential can be. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of young people, maybe I think I was probably guilty of this myself, not realizing what your dream could be or what your potential could be mm-hmm. because sometimes we are in a box or in a situation where we can only dream so much. We can only go about what we see in front of us, our everyday life. You know, for me growing up in Oakland, California, you think that, okay, I can only go this far and you're not exposed to, Hey, you know, you can go to New York, go to college in, in, in Massachusetts and in Boston you can go to, if you want to be a, you know, in, in aeronautics, 
or you want to go out and go to the space station, be a part of NASA, go to Houston, things like that. Like there, you know, there's potential that a lot of kids I think don't or not aware of. Everybody wants to be the local hero in the neighborhood, right? We saw that the local guy, everybody wants to be him, but you're saying, Hey, there is more outside of these walls. There's more outside of the city. And just, I remember a lot of people who I've talked to like, man, they had never left the, the city they've been in, the state that they've been in. So they don't know. And these are grown adults. You know what I mean? These are grown adults that haven't had the, the opportunity. So to start it young and let them realize the potential that's in front of them, I think that's also huge as well to expose. Because once you're exposed, it's like, wow, I want to do this more. I want to do this. How can I be more a part of this? How can I achieve the next? How can I experience more life outside of the country? How can I experience more museums and more places to go? You know, it's just like when you go on hiking, you're like, where's the next hike? Where's the next one? I want to do it again. That's where you cross the line. There will be no hiking for me. <laughs> you got to go find your waterfalls, our, Jack. Go we'll find your couple waterfalls, man. Into <laughs> Dolphins defensive back Byron Jones, who now will speak about why it's so important to have people of color in the room where decisions are being made in media, in marketing, those particular industries, which is why he supports the work uh, being done through the Marcus Graham Project. More on that organization in just a moment, but here are the thoughts of Mr. Jones. I think it's incredibly important to see someone that looks like you doing something that's extraordinary. I love to see people who are doing things and make their respective community better. We're about that action. The Marcus Graham Project is a nonprofit, and their whole ideology is to increase exposure for black people and people of color to advertising, marketing, and media. Oftentimes, it's something that we consume, but we are not on the creative side. We're not in the executive rooms and boardrooms. It's incredibly important to have uh, black voices in these rooms because it gives a window to our stories so that we can give representation, our, our perception of, of an important subject. You know, that's hard to do if you're not from the community. The impact that we have in these boardrooms and, and speaking on behalf of our community are, is incredibly important. It's just really impressive what two individuals and their partners have been able to do in the past, say, 10, 15 years. Lincoln Stevens, he's a co-founder of Marcus Graham Project. He's passionate about helping kids and onboarding talent into marketing and media and advertising. He wants to expand that opportunities for people of color. I think 90% of his graduates, they find placement in those particular fields. He's had incredible amount of impact in South Dallas and he's gonna to continue to expand as his program grows. I think it's so important to invest in our youth because oftentimes I think they don't really see other versions of success. I think they just focus on like the sports and entertainment side. I like the idea of exposing these children to so many different versions of success, influential positions that you can be a part of, just opening the eyes of the youth so they can inspire to be something else than uh, what they're just seeing on TV, just a surface level success. It's always good to look back and help as many people as you can and just try to expose kids to things that you might not have been exposed to at, at that age. So for those that don't know, the project which uh, Mr. Jones was talking about, the Marcus Graham Project, is designed to provide diverse spaces in the field of marketing and media specifically, uh, advertising, public relations, social media, with right. the exposure and experience necessary to solidify careers within the industry. It's one thing to say, hey, <laughs> TV, dig it. Oh, I have Instagram. I've got TikTok. How are you going to monetize it? 
right? Like the next yeah. layer of all that. And it's a, it's a unique mission uh, in a space that catches a lot of the eyes uh, of young people. Listen, it's easy to realize that you're not an elite athlete, right? Right. And so you try to find, as I had to do as a high schooler, okay, but I want to be around sports. Uh, I'm not necessarily pulled toward coaching or, or organizational front office dynamic, but I want to be around the games. And, and I was <laughs> blessed and fortunate to find a path via microphones and cameras. Yeah. Uh, but learning the many different facets that just go into a game broadcast, that go into uh, opinion broadcast, that, that, that go into the outside periphery of the ad dollars that go into it, the information to publicize it. And of course, the very important platform uh, that does a little bit of all those things, social media, uh, is a good place to, to make sure that there's more ground level information and, and involvement. No, I, I think it's uh, something that for me, I know when I started this journey of, you know, getting into the media side of it, um, I always wanted to be a broadcaster to your point mm. is you realize that for me, yeah, a dream of playing professionally was always there, but I always knew at some point you can't do it forever. And sometimes more than not, you know, I was always hit with the, if you do go to the NFL, you know what? It's only three years or three and a half years a length of a career and it's over. And what are you going to do then? So I was already under the impression of I want to be around the game. How do I, what do I need to do? So I kind of started that process for me in college, but yet now having, you know, what Byron Jones is now talking about in the Marcus Graham project is being able for you know, youth who want to be involved with not just sports media, but media of, of all companies. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's you want to have more diverse voices. You want to have more people that can look at different, I would say, walks of life for sure. Because what you may think is not offensive, it could be offensive to another group of people. Or what you think is hilarious may not be hilarious to someone else. Or to think that, hey, if we're targeting this this group of people, uh, we want to get more involved or understand more of our project or more of our company or, or more eyeballs, how do we do that? And to have more diverse people inside of that, I think that's what the Marcus Graham Project is doing, is getting more young people the opportunity, especially of diversity and color, to get into these, when I mean, get into these boardrooms that, weren't as diverse as they were now, you know, they weren't as diverse. And so a lot of the thought processes, the thought process, but also the way of doing business, I think Jax was always one-sided and now we're starting to see it. And because of the social media, what do people see first now? I don't see it at home on television first. Right. I look down on my phone. (laughs) That gets you the quickest information nowadays, man, that little phone, you walk out, here comes an update. Here comes a notification. And how can you sum it up for me in 30 seconds or less? I don't have time to read the 10-minute article. Give me 30 seconds. And then how can you entertain <laughs> me while you do it, Jack? Yeah. That's what the media is now. That's what the diverse media is doing. How can you give me information quick as possible and that I understand, depending on also my age demographic, my background, you, you cater to so many people and it starts with the diversity of this project. 
Good stuff, man. Let's take a break. When we come back, an update on the detention of WNBA star Brittany Griner. <clears throat> More news to extend, and it ain't good. More on that as Forward Progress continues. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Kirk, we had to uh, take the opportunity to update the story surrounding Brittany Griner's detention. Uh, if you hadn't heard the story, uh, the bottom line is this. The WMA star was detained after Russian officials said they found vape cartridges containing oil derived from cannabis in her luggage uh, while she was uh, in transit. Uh, I think we've at least informed those that don't know pretty well, Kirk, that many uh, female professional basketball players, uh, despite their platform with the WNBA, uh, go and get sizable bank by heading over <laughs> to Russia and many other European countries uh, to play ball in the WNBA offseason. Uh, and, and a player of Brittany's caliber is it, it raking it in. Uh, as we know, that detention was unique in the fact, one, um, it's our understanding this tends not to be something that uh, airport officials freak out about regularly, uh, particularly with uh, noted uh, people of, of Brittany's status and stature. Uh, but because of the climate and and damn near zero uh, diplomacy between the United States and Russia, uh, this had been seen as something of a, of, of a uh, at the very least connected to the issues and strain between the U.S. and Russia as it pertains to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, we should note there's been an update that the United States Embassy in Moscow has been granted consular access to Griner, uh, that word being widely reported uh, from the State Department, uh, which is which is new in all of this time um, right. since she's been detained. Uh, she had... Uh, a, a Russian attorney had been her only real connection to the outside world. But the challenge in all of this is that while she's been detained for weeks, it looks like she's going to be there for another couple months where it is uh, she's going to be detained at least through May. Yeah. It's unreal, man. Um, and you would, you would hope that she would have been freed even more. I, I had this discussion too, as well. Um, with a bunch of my buddies as well. And they were just kind of saying, you know, also too with sort of the way that uh, Russia and its LGBTQ laws as well, is there also a situation where they also are putting that uh, as well as how strict they are in terms of, of, of that? And is that also making Brittany Griner also uh, a focus of that piece as well? We just know that, hey, this is a situation in which we just want her to come home. And now she's being sort of put in this political pawn as we see the ongoing war between Ukraine and Russia. And now the U.S. and what's its involvement or non-involvement in this. And now you have this American citizen who's just being detained. And now what does that mean? You know, and who... who 
we don't know how long this thing can last. You says up to May, but we don't know. We're hoping May, but you just want her to get back. And you wish this wouldn't, this wouldn't have happened, but it's at a time right now where I'm at a loss for words because I can only imagine, you know, she's to me, she's still, uh, you know, an American citizen who's in another country. And I don't know the conditions that she's in. And I know how difficult it is for people who have been to prison. I know she's not happy, but I don't think this is a situation where she should be detained. Hey, let her go on her own recognizance and she'll come back and, you know, do all the what you need her to do and go to trial, whatever it may be. But to keep her detained and behind bars, that's, you know, that's uncalled for. It is the reporting that her Russian legal team had challenged her detention. There was a hearing last week. Uh, They asked for her to be placed on house arrest, but expected for that request to be denied. And until the investigation is complete, uh, the, the reporting notes, the court will extend Reiner's detention for periods of time, as you just noted before. Uh, they, if, if their investigation, air quotes for those mm-hmm. who can't see me, gesture. Um, if it's not completed by May, the court will, again, decide how long to extend the detention. Uh, it's, it's an entirely different scenario. Everything that we're hearing is that Griner is doing okay and has seen her Russian legal team multiple times a week uh, since her detention. Um, but as you noted earlier, it, it's, there are, sometimes your mind creeps in in these scenarios and, and mm-hmm. makes it even more challenging. And I'm, I'm not suggesting at all that Brittany's not any stronger than anybody else, but it's just the elements of it all feel like some espionage intrigue film or or novel rather than real life and she's going through this for real and it's got to be terrifying at times yeah i mean she is she's still one of us you know and that's the hard part she's somebody's mom she's i mean she's someone's daughter she's someone's sister she's someone's teammate she's someone's family member right and at the same time there i know there's a a whole cast of people who are waiting for her to come home who are just keeping their fingers crossed praying and hopefully she's her spirits are still up her hopefully she knows that this will come to an end quickly um but you know for us i get it this is such a difficult situation and i you know i really am just you know keeping my fingers crossed and praying that she can hurry up and get come home and let's forget about all of this and thank goodness for the newest news that uh, the state department now has access to her and other detainees. She's not the only one right now uh, through this this particular phase of Russian engagement in Ukraine, which makes this incredibly more complicated. With that, we'll keep an eye on the story and keep you updated. That's going to do it for us. It's always a pleasure that you swing by this cross-section of race and sports forward progress for our producer, Brunel Brown and Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson. We'll talk to you next time on Forward Progress.